young people face that within their youth ministries, whether or not it's ever talked about. I, I do think that there's a number of students that be, if they are a minority and they truly are a minority in that room, like there's not a lot of other people who look like them or have the same heritage that they have. It's not the intention to make anybody feel like they're isolated or that they're left out or that there's something different about them. They feel it, but you just do. And I think one of the best things is to address that in a really, in a healthy way. And the way that you get to address that sometimes, I think, is just making space for people's individual stories instead of assuming that everybody has the same story. Marginalization can come in many different forms. We can recognize some of the external factors, but how do we go beyond just identifying them, but instead speak to a student's identity to say that they are significant? I'm Jeff Eckert. I'm Jason Brewer. And this is The Thought Factory. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, cultivating students through biblical discipleship and spiritual disciplines using theology, community, and technology. Learn more at neverthesame.org. If you are joining us for the first time on the Thought Factory podcast, we are grateful that you are spending time with us. We encourage you to check out the last episode where we talked to Steve Carter, former lead teaching pastor at Willow Creek, to hear his story and how he navigated through the transition at Willow Creek. Next episode is going to be exciting because we're diving into a story of two friends that goes back several generations and their families and how they've linked together. And it is a powerful story of peace and reconciliation that is so pertinent for our time today, especially as we think about working with students and the next generation and what we want to hand over to them in terms of of reconciliation and unity in a time of brokenness and a time where everyone seems to be so splintered in their beliefs. This story will bring hope, and we're excited to share it with you on our next episode. As always, subscribe to the Thought Factory podcast on iTunes at Apple Podcasts. We are also on Spotify. You can find us on YouTube. You can search us anywhere that allows you to type in the Thought Factory podcast, and maybe you'll find us in those realms of audible experiences. In cyberspace. Also, you, if you're interested in our organization, Never the Same, you can also get our all of our backlog of our podcasts there. It's neverthesame.org slash podcast. We'd encourage you, if you don't know anything about what we're doing here at Never the Same, just go to neverthesame.org. Check it out. You can learn more about what we're doing. We'd be excited for you to hear what God's doing as we do our best to reach out to students and youth workers across the country and the world. Excited to get into this interview with someone that we love and respect so much, Nicole Smithy. I almost said Nicole Reyes because she just got married about a year ago. Yeah, but so is that window of time Nicole still Smith. allowed? I like hope When so. do you actually have to refer to somebody by their... Uh, married name, not made a name well, anymore. Well, I think the day you get married, Jason, but I'm just saying I forgot. But Nicole is a wonderful person, a dear friend. She speaks at NTS Camp with us. Um, we've done lots of ministry things together. She's involved in Claim Your Campus 2020. We respect just the tenacity, the perspective that she brings to ministry. She's doing uh, an amazing thing. Uh, ministry that she launched here recently called Iridescent Women, and um, we encourage you to check that out, Iridescent, and look up Nicole Smithy. She's really uh, just an inspiring person. The conversation we're having today, a lot of it is from her story, but it's about um, 
finding those people in our ministries and in the world that are marginalized, whether that might be because of gender or because of their ethnicity, because of personality, socioeconomic status, all those different areas that can that can maybe make us feel insecure on either side. And and Nicole does such a great job, and I've seen this in her where where she she connects. Like I've seen her speak at events and, and with us at NTS and she she really does a great job of connecting with the student that's kind of out on the fringe. And uh, I just appreciate and admire that so much with her. And now let's get into the interview with Nicole Smithy. Well, we have Nicole Smithy with us, and she is a dear friend. We love her. We love her ministry. She's been connected with us in many ways. And I just want to say up front about Nicole that she is one of the most gifted communicators that I've known. And she speaks not just well to students, but just well and can communicate to, I would say, probably about any generation. And that means you're gifted in what you do. And she's worked hard at that. So, Nicole, thanks for your inspiration in that for me personally and what you've done at NTS Camp over the years and the relationships that we have together with you and our family and our daughters and all that. It's all good. It's good to have you here with us today. Uh, It's really an honor to be here and be part of the conversation. Uh, I love the podcast. I love you guys so much and love NTS and just every partnership I've had up until this point with you has just been so rewarding. So uh, I'm, I'm excited. Thanks for having me. Let's start with your story because that you, you've got an incredible story and I've heard you share it in different venues and different pieces of it. I'd love to hear it all together here. Talk about a little yeah. bit about your family and your background growing up. Yeah. Um, well, I was uh, born and raised in Tucson, Arizona, and I have one older sister uh, four years older than me and my parents. And we, we grew up in a home where my parents definitely loved us and did the best they could, but they had their own brokenness to deal with and they didn't have a relationship with Christ at the time. Uh, we grew up in like a religious home in the sense that we were Catholic because like every Mexican's Catholic, like that's just what we thought, you know, it's just very much a part of our culture, but there wasn't any emphasis on a relationship with God or anything like that. And so my parents didn't really have a, a personal faith in Christ that could help them overcome some of the own things that they had gone through in their stories as kids and what they brought into the marriage. And so then we come along, you know, they have two little ones and they're just trying to figure out life. And my dad, he was an alcoholic then for the first 10 years of my life. And uh, that caused a tremendous amount of brokenness, of hurt, of pain, just fighting and tension. And my parents fought a lot. There was always talk of divorce happening in the home, and but that never really materialized. And uh, for both my sister and I, we we really grew up in, in an environment where we would use the term walking on eggshells a lot. We were, we were always just trying to make our parents happy and trying to be peacemakers in the home. And that was just, that was what we knew. It's not like I really talked to anybody about that. It's not like my sister talked to anybody about that. We just kind of grew up and that was our reality. And, and I think that's part of a lot of people's stories when they grow up in some kind of dysfunction in their home or something's not right. It's not like somebody has to tell you not to tell anybody. You just know that this is a family thing and it should stay within the family. And I didn't grow up going to church either. So I didn't really know how to process all of this. This was just me and this was my story. But when I was 12 years old, I got invited to go to a kid's church camp. 
uh, with the Foursquare Church. And I wanted to go because my friends were going and it was going to be a break from the dynamics in the home. And I just could be a kid for a few days. So I was really excited to go. I really, really wanted to go. Somebody at the church anonymously donated for me to be able to go to this camp, or I wouldn't have even been able to go. I still don't know who to thank to this day. But I went on this camp, and it was like kids 8 to 12 that were there. And it was in one of the evening chapel services of this kid's camp that for the first time, I just became so radically aware of the presence of God. And it was in this really old room you know it was one of those really old school projectors where like you write the lyrics on a pen and oh yeah it just those. makes noise and smells and all of that stuff you know and there were worship leaders that were leading and they were doing the best they could but uh, like I'm tone deaf if I can tell that somebody's off like it's really bad and it was really bad you know like the lyrics weren't really that great either and the music wasn't that great there was nothing spectacular there was no show happening in that room but in the middle of this chapel service, people were worshiping God and God's presence filled that place. And I became aware of two things in the middle of worship, that God loved me and that he had a plan for my life. And those things for me were revolutionary. Maybe for some people listening and be like, okay, that's what I grew up hearing. Like, that's really fundamental or that's really basic. That should be obvious. But for me, it wasn't. I didn't grow up knowing that God loved me. That was never a message I heard, that he loved me personally and that he loved me perfectly. And I'd never heard before that God had a plan for my life. That was so new to me. In fact, I grew up in a home where we would often joke about, you know, um, neither of neither my sister or I were planned pregnancies by any means. So we would joke like, hey, you're a mistake. You're an accident. Like that was the language in our home. So and I just seen people trying to survive in life. That was what I was surrounded by. People just trying to make the most of their situation, pay their bills deal with things, manage their addictions. That was the extent of life that I saw. So this idea that God had a purpose and a plan for my life, it just felt so radical and it really was revolutionary for me. So that day I made a decision to place my faith in Jesus. I became a Christian. Nobody really like led me through a sinner's prayer. I just lifted my hands in the middle of worship and said, I'm in. That was it for me. And I remember over that camp, a youth worker sitting me down and explaining to me what it really meant to follow Jesus and asked me if I had a Bible and um, gave me a devotional called 10 Challenges of a World Changer by Ron Luce. And I, I read it. They just said, start reading it, start reading the Bible every day, start praying every day. Here's how you do it. It was pretty basic, but they just walked me through and, and then said, and then at church, come back to church and then come to youth group. And once a week, I'll meet with you. We'll have pizza before church and we'll talk about what you learned. And if you have any questions, I'll answer them. And that really began a discipleship process for me. And I fell in love with youth ministry. I fell in love with church and started serving and being a part. I think I was like the youngest intern in our youth ministry. And I was 12 and as an intern. And so they didn't really know what to do Whoa. with me. So I got like a lot of janitorial duties, you know, <laughs> it's like, oh, she's here again. <laughs> let's have her wipe down, you know, the seats or let's have her scrub the toilets. Like that was how I spent my afternoons as a kid. After school, I would just like beg my mom, mom, just drop me off at church and then help out. And I loved it. It was a refuge for me. It was a sanctuary from some of the stuff that was happening in my home. But more importantly, it was a place where I got to cultivate a relationship with God and really discover the call for ministry that God had on my life. You know, it changed the trajectory of everything for me. And it was where I got to spend time praying and reading the Bible and, and serving in the God's house. And and starting to have different opportunities to lead within church life. And 
that really led to me having a deep desire for full-time ministry and actually entering into full-time ministry when I was 19. So you were 19 when you felt the call into full-time ministry? Yeah. Well, you know, to be honest, I actually felt a call to full-time ministry when I was 12. Okay. Like I really did. But I would say this, my youth pastor was really empowering at the time and there would be opportunities to go to discipleship classes and lead, um, you know, different moments of service and pray for each other and, and, and all of that. But beyond that example, I didn't see in church life, women leading in church. I didn't see women doing what I did see is I saw women leading kids ministry, which is awesome and leading in worship, which is great, but I'm tone deaf. So worship was out of the picture for me. And, and kids are great one-on-one, but for me, like if there's a room full of kids, I'm like, Lord of the flies can happen at any moment. Like this is not, I'm not called to this. This isn't my place, you know? And so I just never saw, I never saw an example of where my giftings and abilities could actually be um, part of the call that God had for my life in full-time ministry. So I kind of thought, all right, well, I, I mean, if I marry a pastor, I guess that then I'll be in full-time ministry. But if not, I'm not quite sure what to do with this. So I'll just serve and keep pursuing other things. So I ended up in Los Angeles after high school because I got accepted to an acting school. And I was going there. I was pursuing acting. I was auditioning and doing like TV commercials and stuff like that. But I started serving at a local church there in Los Angeles, Oasis Church. And it was the first time in my life that I really saw men and women serving together, partnering together in the body of Christ. There wasn't a competition. It was just partnering together, using their strengths um, in ministry. It opened my eyes. I went, oh my gosh, I'm seeing, I'm seeing women like preaching. I'm seeing women teaching. I'm, I'm seeing women use their leadership gifting. And it really reawakened a desire for ministry within me. And so when there was an opportunity to join staff there at the church when I was 19, I knew I had to say yes. Like it came out of the blue for me. I certainly wasn't out of the blue for God. But for me, it was this opportunity to join as just as at the time, um, the role was an administrative assistant for one of the pastors, even though that, I think that's an amazing gifting and people who are gifted to assist, they're incredible. I don't think that's my primary gifting, but I do think God used that opportunity to just allow me to step into full-time ministry and really understand uh, what, what it meant to work full-time in a church environment. And then from there, I just did a number of things throughout the years in, in local church life. I youth pastored for a season, um, oversaw our student ministries, our children's ministry, oversaw our volunteers and weekend services, and then associate pastored and executive pastored and, and, and just, just led wherever the need was in, in different seasons. So you started collecting all this experience from 12 on, now you're 19, and then you're getting more and more opportunities. And in hearing your story, that is part of the inspiration is you maybe didn't have the role models in front of you, but you, in the meantime, God really made you one of those people. And and I can speak to that directly here personally for a minute, Nicole, because of your impact in our family, particularly our daughter, Olivia, and she just was mentioning mm-hmm. you actually the other day, just about your passion for the Bible and how some very specific things that you've said to her that she remembers. And you know how that is when you look up to someone and they're a mentor, you yeah, you hang on every word. And your example in ministry ha- has really been amazing. And I, what I love too is that you, um, you just go out there and do it. So then, you know, you transition to that and then talk to us a, a little bit about where that journey is taking you here recently? I was on staff at Oasis Church in LA for 
um, over 14 years. And I thought I was just always going to live in LA. Like I loved Los Angeles. I loved where I was at, but God never lets you get too comfortable. Right. And, uh, I was, I was definitely a little comfortable and I, I just, through prayer and some circumstances and different things, it was just becoming really clear that that season was coming to an end. And God led me to New York to actually join uh, Liberty Church here in New York. We have actually communities globally, but um, most of our communities are located here in Manhattan and Brooklyn. I stepped into a role of overseeing a nonprofit that was birthed out of my church here. And it's called Liberty Foundation with an initiative on church planning and global missions. And that was actually one aspect in my time um, in Los Angeles that I'd never really been able to support church planners. So that was really exciting for me to step into that area of ministry and really understand the needs of church planners and help coach them and provide them the support they needed so that they could really launch churches strong and, and see the gospel spread to new neighborhoods and communities. So I did that for a season here in New York and then um, also traveling, preaching and teaching and, um, and within my own church um, on the teaching team. And I also helped coach our communicators and our teaching team on just how to preach the word, how, how to how to do that effectively. So that's actually something I continue to do at Liberty. And then last year, um, I took on a new endeavor. So I, I did that for a season and really grateful for the season of leading Liberty Foundation. But I stepped into something new, a couple new things, actually. But uh, one of them is called Iridescent uh, Women. And Iridescent Women was really birthed out of this deep desire to see young women awaken to their God-given potential. And uh, there is a story behind that. I'll try to make it quick. But I was actually at an NTS camp a couple summers ago, and I was getting ready to teach. And I was standing off to the side, and I was praying. And I, I, I just looked out at the like sea of young people worshiping Jesus. And it was so beautiful, the presence of God in that space. And you could just tell that there was such a hunger for God that, it, again, it wasn't show, it wasn't manipulated. It was just coming out of this hunger, like in worship, you know, students lifting their hands, just like there was this almost this, it felt like in that moment that there was this desperation, like, Jesus, we need you. And that's always been my prayer in ministry is like, I want to see a generation that serves Jesus passionately and is just willing, like that's their greatest pursuit. I really want to see that. And I want to sow into that. And so I'm looking out at the sea and I'm seeing that at NTS. I'm seeing a micro version of this that I'm believing is going to happen on a macro level in, in our lifetime. And I'm blown away by this, but I really felt like as I was looking at the young people worshiping, the Holy Spirit started to say, hey, I want you to look at certain faces. So I started to look at certain faces and there was a commonality after I looked at a few faces. I don't know. This story almost sounds like I, w I was like worship stalking. I, I wasn't. I promise it was just a, <laughs> just a speaking to me moment. But, um, but I was looking at these faces and they were all young women. And it, I can honestly say in the first time in my life, I felt like God broke my heart for a group of people. Um, I've always felt like, you know, my mission field is whoever's in front of me. I just want to serve people. I want to love people. I want people to know Jesus and be discipled. But in that moment, I felt like God was calling me to young women specifically and saying, in this next season, I want you to invest in young women. And I want you to help bridge a gap between the conversations that are happening for Christian young women and the conversations that are happening in the secular space. And so we created Iridescent Women, which is an online community. We have a website and 
Um, there's articles and videos updated every day talking about everything from relationships to career and money to health and wellness to culture to spirituality. And that tab specifically is where we just blatantly preach Jesus and give people the tools to follow him and grow in their faith. But all the other conversations, though they're godly in nature and come from a perspective that is based on the gospel, allow space for both a believer and a non-believer to engage in the conversation. And our hope is that we're creating a space for Christian young women to really thrive um, and also for them to share content with maybe their friend who isn't a believer and find commonality there. And hopefully over time that that non-believer is exposed to the gospel message. So that's the website. We have a podcast as well called the Iridescent Podcast and um, an online shop. And we have a collective people can subscribe to so that they can know some local things happening in their area that they can be a part of. But we really want to enter the space of conversation that is happening for young women and um, let them know that, yes, they are living in an era of empowerment, but they've actually been empowered by God and that God has a plan for their life and that Jesus has a call for them. And it's responding to that call that truly empowers them. So we're, we're really excited. It's been iridescent has existed for a little over seven months now. And it's been amazing to see how many women have connected um, how many women have shared their stories on our site and, and how many women are being reached already is, is pretty amazing. And then I just recently this year launched something called the 365 plan with Nicole Smithy. And that is a program that is just helping people develop a daily habit of spending time in God's word and to make that time really meaningful for them and cultivate a deeper intimacy with Christ and a stronger faith. So I just launched that this year and I'm really excited about it just because there are people who for the first time in their life are getting the tools that they need to know where to start and where to actually read the Bible every day and meditate on God's word and then know how to apply it in their life. So it's amazing. Iridescent women is the website. And uh, mm-hmm. like you said, there's a lot of really, really powerful resources on there for women. And I, I think Nicole, you are a part of this movement that God is, is bringing about these days that, uh, that people are are understanding the the power of women in leadership in ministry. The part of our my personal background with the uh, I'm an ordained pastor in Wesleyan Church and uh and my wife's grandmother was an ordained pastor way back in the day. That was kind of before the trend really started happening, way before, but yeah. Yeah. But it's a it's a very um important personal thing to me and to our family as well to have you know generations of women in leadership as well and so again so grateful for your example in that and how God's used you and, and as we continue the conversation we're going to talk about what a 12-year-old Nicole looks like in our youth ministries because we're dealing with students that might seem to be out there on the fringes and we don't know maybe what's going on at home but what can we do to what we're calling Minister to the Marginalized. So we're going to come back and talk about that. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Kenny and L. Campbell from StuffYouCanUse.org. And from GrowCurriculum.org. Guys, if you are looking for an annual curriculum and strategy for your youth ministry, we'd love for you to check out Grow Curriculum. You can find us at GrowCurriculum.org. We are on the phone with Nicole Smithy. We are talking about her past and her experience in ministry, her call to ministry, and she basically was talking about her heart to minister to the women. But you've alluded to feeling marginalized as a a girl where you didn't see any females in leadership. But I also want to get your feeling on being marginalized as a, a minority as well 
What was your thoughts and feelings as as you were going through as a, a 12-year-old, 19-year-old, up through your 20s? What was it like being uh, a minority as well as being marginalized? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. It's, I'm so grateful that this conversation is happening. I think that's, that's huge. More and more people engaging these kind of conversations is where we get to create more space for everyone to really flourish in the body of Christ. Uh, you know, for me, I think, I think it goes back to sometimes when you don't see something, then you don't necessarily know what's possible for yourself. So one of the things that I've had to face in different seasons of ministry from the time I was 12 till, you know, even now is being able to look at examples and go, um, okay, for one, like how many women are actually doing something that I feel like God's calling me to? Are there any examples of that and have they done it well? And then also, are there examples of minorities? And for me, sometimes that list was really short. I've had the really amazing experience, specifically in Los Angeles. My church was very diverse. Uh, it was very multicultural. It truly was. Like when we did surveys and stats over the years, there wasn't actually one eth ethnicity that was the predominant ethnicity. It was broken down pretty evenly. And it really represented L.A., um, because LA is very diverse, but where it was unique was that Los Angeles, even though it's a very diverse city, when it comes to Sunday is still pretty segregated. So what was happening in our church at Oasis was really, uh, I mean, we would have people come in and say like, can we study this? Like, this is just, how does this happen? How do you create this kind of diversity? So that was the environment that I was in. Um, but when I would go outside of my own church, to minister, when I would go to conferences, to events, when I would meet with other peers who were doing the similar thing that I'm doing, I would be, in a lot of ways, the only minority in the, in the room. It, it makes you feel a little isolated, even if that's not the intention. It does. You feel like, okay, well, I'm not completely going to be relatable to this group of people, or they're not completely going to relate to me. And it forced me to have to continually think through through my behavior, like first impressions, meeting people, to like finding my tribe and finding my people that I could really connect with and learn from. I had to figure out, I felt like I had to compensate to try to figure out how to bridge that gap. And that's hard. That's, that's definitely a challenge I think that a lot of people face. I think, I think a lot of young people face that within their youth ministries, whether or not it's ever talked about. I, I do think that there's a number of students that be, if they are a minority and they truly are a minority in that room, like there's not a lot of other people who look like them or have the same heritage that they have, even though that's not the intention to make anybody feel like they're isolated or that they're left out or that there's something different about them. They feel it, but you just do. And I think one of the best things is to address that in a really in a healthy way. And the way that you get to address that sometimes, I think, is just making space for people's individual stories instead of assuming that everybody has the same story, um, even down to, you know, to things, the issues of racial differences to issues of um, different experiences in the home, which is another way that I felt really I think isolated as a student is I didn't hear anybody talking about my story. Nobody Nobody was preaching from the front or giving examples of your parents fighting all the time, or <laughs> you might not have money to go to camp because things are so tight. Like that was the exception. That wasn't the rule. And that makes you feel as a kid that you're, that you're at a disadvantage in settings where you're supposed to be equal, right? Like we're supposed to be equal in the body of Christ. But sometimes then when you hear certain messaging, you feel like, oh, but 
it kind of feels like some people got more of a head start than I did in life. And it feels like that in this room as well. And it feels like there's not space for me to necessarily say, but what about me? So I'm just going to be silent about it. I'm just going to like, it's cool, whatever. But internally, I'm going to feel like there's always going to be a part of me that you guys in my youth group or you in my church or, or you Christians aren't necessarily going to understand because our stories are so different and only your story feels like it's the one being represented. So what do you say to youth workers that they're listening to this and they're maybe maybe for the first time thinking, wow, maybe there's students out there that, that haven't even thought about what it's like to be in their shoes. What would you say about how do you open the door for that conversation as a youth worker with students? You know, one of the things that I say when I'm coaching communicators often is know your audience. And I think that's a, just a leadership thing, not just a communication thing. Like know your, know your students and not just know their names and what their interests are, like really, really get to know them. Think about the things that they're maybe not bringing up, but the things that are true to their story right now. And you can pick up on those things. Like you can see those things pretty quickly. Like you can find out pretty early on who's in the home and who isn't. You can assess pretty quickly, I think, where people are at in some ways and other ways really do take time. But I think one of the greatest assets that we have as shepherds is our ability to listen, to pay attention, and to really pay attention to what our students are saying and pay attention to what they're not saying. Are there certain topics where a student in like a small group discussion is like super chatty, and then all of a sudden you ask another question and they grow silent, and, and you notice that again and again? They don't talk about mm -hmm. their family? List, pay attention to those things, you know? Pay attention to those things and lean into those things. I do think that a student opens up, not just when they're asked, because sometimes there's like too many barriers there. If somebody asks like, how are things you're like, I'm fine, I'm fine, it's okay. Like it doesn't feel safe enough to share those things. But when a student feels believed in, that's different. When a student feels believed in, not just, you know, somebody's noticing me, but somebody's believing in me, there's a different level of trust. So I think another thing that we can do for students who may feel marginalized for a number of different ways, either minority or gender or home experience or economically, they could feel marginalized. Even spiritually, they could feel marginalized. If everybody else in the, the youth group has just grown up in a Christian home and they didn't, they could feel like, uh, I feel like I don't understand half of the things that are being talked about. You know, like these are all ways in which people can feel like they're living on the margins instead yeah. of of, of actually being a part of really wholly integrated into the community. With those different ways in which people can be marginalized, try to figure out what's really going on, pay attention to the cues, but then also I'd say like, give them a go. Like <laughs> let them figure out what their gifts and abilities are and say, hey, I believe in you. Like I see you, I see that there's a gift in your life. I see that there's a call on your life. Like God has a plan for you. Follow that up with more than just words and a pat on the back, but like give people opportunity. Let somebody show up who's 12 years old and say, I want to be an intern. And you know what I mean? Like somebody did that for me. And even though the jobs weren't all that glamorous, that's part of that. That is ministry. Ministry isn't glamorous, right? So right. it was amazing. It was character building and it allowed me to serve in the house of God. But give people opportunity. If you see a, a young girl in your youth ministry right now and she's just good in front of people, she's she's comfortable, then let her MC, you know, <laughs> like figure out what people's abilities are. If somebody just really knows how to connect with other people, like 
invite them to the conversation of how new guests in the youth ministry can feel really included and welcomed and want to come back. Like these are ways in which we can really empower students. And I think when students who normally feel marginalized feel empowered, then they're going to open up to you because they feel like you really want them. You want them to be a part of the team and that they are contributing something. So then they can start to share with you some of the stuff that might be going on in their home or the ways in which the things that maybe are happening in the youth ministry don't feel relevant to them. And you can listen and you can decide what you want to do with that information. But now you've got somebody who's willing to help make sure that their story that has felt marginalized in the past is now included in the conversation so other students in the future don't feel as marginalized. As leaders, as adults who are engaged and investing in students, it's definitely important to recognize those who are marginalized, like you said, not only for gender or race or you mentioned home life. There are so many variables to being marginalized. People internally can feel marginalized. How do you go beyond just identifying, but to encourage those who are like a Nicole in their youth group, but beyond? I think everybody's story is going to look different, but I think speaking to the, specifically to the empowerment piece, I think it's so important to empower your students. One, I believe it's part of the discipleship process. Like Mm -hmm. we can't just teach people. We got to give them a go at this thing called, you know, faith. Right. Right. And, and so I, I do think it's, it's so crucial to discipleship process, but I think I never wanted to play a victim. Let me just say like, I've never felt like when I was even at my lowest moments as a kid, That didn't speak to me because it didn't speak to the gospel message. Like I knew that Jesus could heal my heart and I knew that he could do something great with my life. And so I wanted to be real and I wanted to be raw and I still do. And I wanted to bring my like, God, this, this is really, this is what's happening in my family. This is the hurt that I'm dealing with, like heal. And he's been so faithful to heal. But I didn't think that that was the extent of what my life could be like with Jesus. Like I wanted to overcome. I didn't just want somebody to comfort me. I wanted beyond comfort. I wanted to know my life could be great. And that, and that's part of the message that I heard when I was 12, when I was worshiping, God had a plan for my life. This is amazing. And so I think that one of the things that we can do to really notice the Nicoles and uh, whatever they look like to really see them flourish is to, to really believe in them and to not necessarily go the route of going, oh man, you must have it rough. That's not going to help anybody. But to actually say like, hey, I see you. I see your story is unique. I see what God's doing in your life is unique. And I want to champion you. Like I want to encourage you. I want to bring out the best in you. And that happens in a number of ways. I think words are powerful. Like I don't want to dismiss those. I think some of the most pivotal moments in my life have been when a youth worker didn't just notice me and listen but actually called out the gold in me. I treasured those moments. They changed how I saw myself. Like I'll never forget the first time somebody called me a leader. I'd never been called a leader before. And I went home that night. And after my youth pastor called me a leader, I looked in the mirror and I saw a leader. Mm. And I've never stopped Mm. seeing a leader since. Like these are really, really powerful moments. And we can create those kind of moments for students along the journey of their discipleship. And I think the other part is, I use the example of like, hey, if they're good in front of people, like throw them up on the stage. But we we all know that like a stage doesn't develop anybody as character. It just it just recognizes their gifts and abilities. So I think there's other ways in which we can really show that we believe in the potential of a student who's perhaps been feeling marginalized and that we just 
we train them up to the things that, that might be a little bit harder. Like, how are you loving your family right now? That is a mess. And how are you modeling Christ in the home? And maybe you're the only one right now who's at a place to actually have a real relationship with Jesus. So what are you doing about that in the home and have those kind of real conversations and, and pray with them about the family dynamics or if they're, family struggling financially, like, okay, well then what do you believe God has for you and your family and, and, and really help them start to contextualize faith for themselves. If it's at school, it's like, okay, you have a story. God's doing something unique in your life. How are you sharing it? How are you praying for your school? How are you witnessing, not just bringing a friend to church, but like, how are you telling that friend who doesn't know Jesus, that Jesus is real and that he's done something real in your life? Like these are ways in which we really truly empower people to grow in their faith. Um, help them have a personal relationship with Jesus, I think is really key. But I would say that, here's the thing I'd say, I'd say that about every student. I hope we do this with every student. But I do think specifically with students who've had experience being marginalized by society and maybe had that experience even in church, to take the time to say, not just, hey, I see you, but like, I really believe in you. And I'm really committed to making sure that you have the opportunities to grow in your faith and grow as a disciple. And I'm going to speak life inside of you because maybe nobody else is. Those things really do change a student's life. And there's some students that I've worked with that they've come from really, really difficult situations, or they're definitely the person that we're talking about right now that's felt marginalized and has been marginalized by society or different circumstances. And I've seen what quick investment has done in their life. Like they just grab a hold of it and man, they're like, you can see their life changing. You could see that they're breaking generational curses. You can see that they're pioneering for progress. Like you see it right away. It's evident. And other students, it's not that linear. It's a little bit messier, their journey. And that's okay too. Uh, and I think we have to have this awareness of the fact that we're sowing seed and we're loving people and we're not loving them so that we can see them automatically have a turnaround we're not loving somebody and discipling somebody because we want a result that validates our ability to minister. We're loving them because they're a child of God and because yeah. we do truly believe in them. Mm -hmm. And so we just got to be able to put in the time is what I'm saying. Some people you might actually never see the turnaround moments. You've got to trust that you sowed seeds of, of God's word and seeds of truth and seeds of love that are going to reap a harvest at some point in their lives, whether or not you see it in the time that they're a part of your youth ministry. Well, you said there, Nicole, was so powerful in understanding that students many times are victims and they're victimized, but seeing beyond that in them mm -hmm. and, and not allowing that to, to be the only filter or the only focus that we see, because we do live in a time, as we all know, because all of us here, we, we love this engagement in students' lives and loving them in that stage of their life when they're young and impressionable and but I think if we only see that side of them, we may never even on our own and see beyond what that has done to them to be more than that, to be, like you said, a leader. And I, I think that is, to me, the most powerful takeaway from our conversation today is just this idea of we're not coming in um, and just seeing who they are, but we're seeing what they can become. And And obviously we see that in the Gospels with with Christ and the disciples, how he, he saw them for what they were to become, and that is the power of discipleship and the power of following Christ, and, and you've, you've, you lead that well. I think you also have provided an example of how powerful words are in students' yeah. lives, where we can sometimes run ministry, and it's just about what we do, and we're available, and we hang out with these students, and we're 
opening up our doors, which is important, but sometimes they need to hear the truth about who they are and to be able to hear the words of God's word speaking through you into their life. And that's what happened to you. You heard the truth and you went home and you believed it and you lived like that was true from that point on. And how important that is to speak truth into the lives of students and not just provide a a really good gathering and provide a space for them to be feeling safe or have fun in, but to hear the truth as well. Yeah, just reminded as we record this just uh, yesterday, the group of seventh grade guys I lead looking them all in the eye yesterday in our group and just saying and calling them men. And I do that on purpose. You guys are young men. You're not boys, although they may yeah. talk like them and even sound like them sometimes. Smell like one. <laughs> and smell like one. But they, they indeed are, are young men and, and uh, it's yeah. speaking that into them. So, yeah, I definitely see that in your life on and off the stage. And yeah, thanks for sharing your story today. Thank you for your approach to this issue of students that are marginalized, because I think what we're all about is empowering them to become who God has created them to be. As I was like listening to you, Jeff, right now, I think there's something, something really practical that youth ministers can do is like, Hey, if you really notice that there's some people that are on the, that are being marginalized right now, and you can figure out what that is for you, then try to try to recruit youth workers or people who can relate to them too. Cause there's something to be said about seeing an example. So if you, if you can honestly say right now, there is no example for these marginalized students to see in, in my church or in my youth ministry, then try to find that person, you know, like try to, try to add that diversity to your staff team, to your like volunteer team, wherever that person is, is in need of an example, try to figure out and pray God would bring somebody that could, could be that example for that type of marginalized student. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. That's really good. It's all about upping the awareness of those who are marginalized. And yeah. and not just assuming that your big gathering is going to be exactly what everyone needs, but yeah. to have yeah. have adults in there to speak into the lives of those who are feeling marginalized, who are experiencing marginalization. That's it. I think if we can just really see people and speak life in them and be be on the journey of discipleship with them, then we're going to create a future for them um, or we're going to collaborate with Christ to create a future for them that is much brighter than the one that they would have had. So uh, that's the goal for every student, marginalized and not, but to really see the marginalized and say, there's a future for you and I'm championing you. That, that's huge. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, whose vision is to see new generations transformed in Christ to further the kingdom of God. Learn more at neverthesame.org. So this is the bonus segment here, and we talk each episode about the latest for 2020, and there's so much happening week to week, and uh, we've got Nicole Smithy with us, who's heard this vision kind of from some of the beginning points of it when Not Bring People knew, and she's gotten involved, even leadership-wise. But Nicole, you and I were talking about this, and we had, we've had several really intense, great conversations about what we're feeling and sensing that God's going to do at 2020, but... Share some of the things from your heart about what, why you feel this is important and what you feel like God can do with an event like Claim Your Campus 2020. 
Yeah. When we first started talking about the event, I couldn't help but think about historic moments and specifically in, in the U.S. because uh, that's my context, right? But I was thinking about Woodstock. I was thinking about rallies that have happened in D.C. I've been, you know, from the civil rights movement, just different pivotal moments. And there was something about these moments. They're outside and there's thousands and thousands and thousands. And there's something about that massive crowd under an open heaven that shifts climates, it shifts cultures. There's something that is, there's a spiritual dynamic to things like that. And when you were first talking about this event to me, which probably that was like almost, a, I don't know, almost a year ago, it was, I first heard about it and then have gotten more and more invested and involved in this. I just can't help but believe that God wants to use this event to really shift uh, the direction of a generation and to awaken things within a generation. And that there's something really, truly massive in the kingdom of God that's going to take place at this event. I don't think it's just about, you know, let's get a group of students together. Let's see how many, you know, I think there's, there's so much more to this. There's a timing to this and really young people, they are hungry for a real encounter with Jesus. And they're hungry to see that in their schools. They're hungry to see that in their homes. I think they're, they're definitely done with just religious tradition and going through the motions. They want something more. And I believe they're going to get experience that more at this event. I, I really believe that they're going to encounter the presence of God in just as radical a way as I did when I was 12 at that kids camp, you know, where uh, I just really became aware that God is real and he has, he loves me has a plan for my life. And I think that's what's going to happen for a lot of students. I think miracles are going to happen, to be real. I really do. I believe you get in a gathering like that and preach the gospel and the power of the gospel accompanies the message of the gospel. And I think that there's going to be people who are really set free and delivered and um, people who discover their calling and people who walk in healing after this event and who come back with a, with a calling specifically for their schools. I want to see what happened here at this event happen in my school. And it's going to start a movement. I really, really, really believe that. And there's a lot of us that feel that way, Nicole. And, and um, it's exciting as we've seen organizations around the country and even around the world take interest in what's happening with Claim Your Campus 2020. And I think, yeah, God's giving us some, yeah, maybe some windows into into what uh, is about to happen on July 4th weekend, 2020. And I appreciate your encouragement today and your encouragement to me and our team and your involvement and what we're going to see in like you said, we are hoping and believing and praying and asking that God would humbly meet us there in that field on July 4th weekend in 2020, and that He would do what He wants to do. But we do sense, many, many, many of us, that it's going to be beyond just this weekend, but it's going to spill over into schools and into this entire generation, our nation, to, to see um, these people that maybe have been uh, unaware whether they're students or, or older, uh, of this amazing God that loves them so much. So, Nicole, thanks for your thoughts today on 2020, and we're looking forward to what's going to happen. As always, you can go to ClaimYourCampus2020.com. There's video and other content there that you can check out. And then on our Facebook group, join the Claim Your Campus Advocates Facebook group to continue to stay up to date on what's happening.